and welcome back to the Past and Present Podcast. This is Kim Groves, hoping you've been having a lovely week so far. I also hope that you enjoyed our devotional Monday on the Sermon on the Mount's uh, parable of salt and light. Today, we are going to continue with our, as I like to call it, academic nonsense series on the dating of Jericho's destruction. And what I'm, we're going to talk about today is Exhibit C in, in that uh, discussion. And we, we discussed our initial uh, hot take was with Bryant Wood, and he used uh, Garstang and Kenyon to date the destruction of, of Jericho to approximately the time of the Israelite invasion. He was then rebutted by Piotr Biankowski, who said, no, Wood was wrong, and here's why, and he gave his hot take using the four criteria that Wood had laid out in his beginning article about the ceramic data, the stratigraphy, the scarab evidence, and the radiocarbon dating. So then we move forward, and Bryant Wood at this point has about had enough of this argument he's been having with uh, Piotr Biankowski. So he, re, uh, he rebuts Biankowski with another article entitled, Dating Jericho's Destruction, Biankowski is Wrong on All Counts. And this appeared in the September-October issue, uh, the September-October 1990 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. And at this point, this is where this argument stops. Um, and again, this is back in 1990 when uh, his initial article came out and there was a lot of renewed interest in dating the destruction of Jericho and the idea that this might be some actual solid evidence that the biblical narrative in regards to Jericho was actually the truth. So, uh, uh Bryant Wood uh, attempts to basically pick Biankowski apart and saying, hey, you know, this is, this is wrong. Uh, you're wrong. I'm going to tell you why, and you're going to listen to me. And he makes a pretty compelling argument, and I'm not going to tell you where I fall on this. I just think it's funny to watch this argument between these two men carry out over a year's worth of of uh, articles in Biblical Archaeology Review. So, Brian Wood starts out saying, hey, you know, Biankowski has challenged the results of his analysis, and he says that, and he maintains that Ken Kathleen Kenyon's date of about 1550 BCE is, a cor is correct and should be retained. So, um, he starts off basically saying, right off the bat, Biankowski misstated something I said. So he quotes, he states that in my article, I was attempting to show the destruction was inflicted by the Israelites as recorded in Joshua 6 and Judges 3. He says, this is an erroneous statement. The events described in Judges 3 did not enter into my discussion at all. I dealt with the correspondence that exists between the archaeological findings at Jericho and the biblical account in Joshua 3 through 6. With a correction in the dating of the destruction of the city, it is now feasible to make a connection between the two. So he says, look, right off the, right off the, the, the bat, Biankowski misstated mis my whole idea. So 
he has sent, he says his that Biankowski's attempts to basically lower uh, explain away the evidence for lowering the date is misguided and void of any kind of substance. Um, he says Biankowski made assertions without data to back them up, and that creates an unconvincing argument. The same argument that Wood himself made when critiquing Kenyon's work in, in dating. So he says his discussion is superficial, lacking both depth and precision. So he's, he says Biankowski begins by making the point that since Cypriot imports from the late Bronze Age to a period, which is 1400 to 1300 BCE, were found at Jericho, Kenyon was quite correct in utilizing the absence of these wares from the late Bronze I period as a basis for her data. Uh, I'm sorry, for her dating. Um, the occupation in Area H, where Kenyon found the ruined Bronze Age city, was much different in the Late Bronze 2A period than the Middle Bronze, Late Bronze 1 period. So there, he says, look, during this time there was a, a, a long period where this area was, was not settled. It was empty. It was, there was no kind of, of occupation. So this abandonment creates a cultural discontinuity. So he says in the middle to late bronze period, a fortified urban center existed at that site and area H was a poor domestic quarter. In the late bronze 2A period, area H was occupied by an isolated palace um, with associated outbuildings. So again, the, the whole uh, character and uh, and the whole idea of, and the character of the city changed after this area of protracted, this time of protracted uh, um, emptiness. So commercial relations, trade patterns, and the type of ceramic wares in use would not necessarily be the same in the two period because of this huge period where there was no, no, no one living there. While the absence of late Bronze I Cypriot imports may thus be significant, as Binkowski stated, the primary method of dating should be a thorough analysis of the local pottery, and that has never been done as of the date of this article in 1990. The presence or absence of imported pottery can be used as a supporting argument, but should not be the prima facie argument for determining a date. So he then moves on to stating that Binkowski um, states that the expulsion of the Hyksos from Egypt bears no relevance to the dating of the destruction of Jericho. And the thing is, that's exactly what Wood said. He said the Hyksos had nothing to do with this. So um, the two events should not be correlated, the expulsion of the Hyksos and the destruction of Jericho. But however, Kenyon did link those two events. So... Biankowski then moved on to suggest that even though the Egyptians and Hyksos were not responsible for the destruction of Jericho, a destruction could have occurred in the mid-16th century BCE as a result of local conflicts between the various Middle Bronze urban centers. So, however, regardless of the merits or shortcomings of that argument, it contributes nothing to the determination of the date of the destruction of Jericho, which is the whole question that was being addressed by Wood. So, again... Biankowski, he says, is basically not making any kind of sense. So, Wood then goes right back to how Binkowski decided to try to break his argument and start with the ceramic data. So, 
he said a discussion of the ceramic data is somewhat premature since his at this point Woods um study of the pottery has not been, yet been published as of the like I said the date of this article um he gets into a detailed discussion of the pottery um and he he refers Biankowski referred to the figure of pottery types that appeared in my article and comments that they are forms that have a long life and that are not particularly diagnostic of either the middle or late bronze age now this is where you kind of have to understand how this these kinds of articles work Bryant Woods submitted several different plates or drawings or photographs to Biblical Archaeology Review that were, were intended to provide a representative sampling of his, his uh, analysis. So it's up to the editors of, of BAR to decide which ones they chose to publish. And they did not... Um, the particular forms that were illustrated were chosen by the editors from a larger plate. So he actually, in this follow-up article, Wood provides the entire plate, and he shows a selection of late bronze one forms from Kenyon's uh, excavation. Um, John Garstang actually, since he excavated a much larger area, discovered many more diagnostic types. So, um, so again, you have to understand that basically BAR, not in any sort of malicious way, basically for space saving, cut part of an illustration out that would have provided a higher amount of context and supported Wood, uh, Woods's, uh, Woods' argument a little deeper. So it's important to realize pottery of the late bronze one period is very similar to the final phase of the middle bronze period. So this actually makes sense if you think about it because pottery types do change but not overnight so they phase their way out so again like I, I believe I stated in, in our first discussion on this that same china or porcelain that my grandparents used my parents did not use that was maybe the good china the stuff you pulled out on the holidays this the the china that I use is different than what my parents used and maybe the stuff my parents used has become my good china so again and, and those things those styles change so many middle bronze forms continued into late bronze ones and there are different subtle differences in number of types and new forms are introduced and with careful study of that pottery evidence it's possible to distinguish the late bronze one period from the terminal phase of the Middle Bronze period. So he goes through a very detailed analysis and I encourage you to look the article up and take a look at the illustrations. So he, he says that during the period of history, the flaring carinated bowl um, changes were taking place in the Middle Bronze period. The bowl had a pronounced crimp at the point and in the late bronze period, the crimp became less pronounced until it finally disappears. So again, you, there's a, a, a sort of a, a evolution. Um, so he says um, that Biankowski is falling into the same trap as Kenyon. He's using unstratified tomb pottery to do a stratified occupational deposit. Tombs are static. They stay the way they are. 
And we're not even going to get into a discussion of tomb robbing in, in ancient Egypt or anything like that. But in general, tombs were static. So they are a fixed moment in time. And you can't necessarily use that pottery data to date something in a stratified setting simply because that pottery in the stratified setting may have continued use a little bit longer or may have been st have stopped usage depending on where it falls. So um, tomb groups are isolated deposits which can't be placed in a chronological sequence as can stratified tell deposits. So in other words, on a hill with a stratified setting, you, you can actually tell time. Um, tombs are often used for long periods of time and the material in them becomes mixed and represents a wide chronological spectrum. Stratified material should be given preference over tomb material as, a, as again, tombs are consistently reused. They represent a single moment in time and they are not accurate tells of the of the age of something. Um, so he then um, goes to his the next three figures and he says they are canonical bowls with concentric circles on the inside. And he says that uh, that this is a strong diagnostic indicator for the latter half of the late bronze one period. And it's one of only two forms for which I cite for which he cites parallels. And the reason is because it, a, a journal like BAR is not a place to enter into a detailed discussion of pottery. So Bienkowski, he says, dismissed the late, the cited late bronze one parallels from Ashdod and Hazor by stating that an attempt to achieve a precise dating by parallels from such a distance is unconvincing. So he says this is a desperate attempt to discount this telling evidence. Um, so he says that the distances to these sites are well within the orbit of itinerant merchants, the primary agents for the diffusion of ceramic wares in antiquity. So he continues on his uh, talking about the different things, uh, the different pottery types, and I'm not going to get into them. Again, this is not a form to get into a deep dive of, of pottery types. And if you are interested in, in me doing a discussion on pottery types in Israel, I would be more than happy to do that. Please drop me a line. Now, Bienkowski's second point under ceramic data was puzzling to, to, uh, to Wood. He stated that the Middle Bronze period ended at different times at different sites for different reasons. Okay, so that's all well and good. That does happen. But what does that have to do with the date of the destruction of Jericho? So, in other words, it's like Wood says, I don't care what happened in other places. I only care what happened here. So the implication is that each site must be investigated individually to determine the date and nature of its demise. So this is what Wood is actually advocating for Jericho. So we can't say that every Middle Bronze Age center in Palestine came to an end at exactly the same time by the same agency, and, and as has been argued in the past. So he says, um, he then goes on that says that Jericho City 4 was destroyed well before the end of the Middle Bronze, citing uh, an, uh, an article by uh, Dr. Kapinski. So, however, when we check, actually check the reference for Kapinski, Kapinski's statement, we find he didn't say anything like that. The reference is to a comparative stratigraphic chronological table in which Kapinski places Kenyon's tomb group 5 in the mid-17th century BCE, and he says nothing about strata. So it's extremely difficult to correlate tomb groups with tell strata. And Bienkowski actually noted this. So 
In point three under ceramic data, Biankowski suggested there was a technological change in pottery from fast wheel versus slow wheel. <clears throat> and he says, Biankowski stated that all the pottery that Wood illustrated was made on a fast wheel and must date to the middle bronze. Again, Biankowski, he says, has got his stuff mixed up. Patrick McGovern has conclusively shown that the switch from fast to slow wheel took place between late bronze one and late bronze two, not between the end of middle bronze and late bronze one. Pottery in late bronze one was made on a fast wheel as it was in the middle bronze period. So basically Wood is, is questioning how Biankowski reached the conclusion that the pottery that Wood cites from Jericho is entirely fast wheel made. The thing is, these were drawings that Biankowski was looking at. And you can't look at a drawing of a piece of pottery and tell that if it was made on a fast wheel or a slow wheel. So this is actually not even why Biankowski would say something like this is not. And I think this plays into the, the discussion we had about bias in archaeology. So... Um, he said that there, um, McGovern concluded that macroscopically visible features of ceramics are not adequate in defining specific technologies and their development. So th next, Biankowski up, took up the claim that the matter of the pottery decorated with black and red paint, which appeared to be imported Cypriot bichrome ware. Biankowski said that this, is a stand this was actually standard late bronze two painted ware. And Wood says that's not it at all. The fabric of the Jericho bichrome pottery is much different than the local late bronze wares. So in other words, the fabric of late bronze two pottery is of poorer quality and has large grids, not fired all the way through. The Jericho bichrome pottery is of high quality. It's pink, uh, pinkish buff, uh, well levigated. It's very, very common to Cypriot bichrome ware. So it has a finely ground temper. It's all but invisible and fired with no core. Garstang published a considerable, considerable amount of that pottery, which he referred to as redware, I guess for its pinkish buff color. And among the sherds he published are several with classic Cypriot bichrome ware motifs. So Biankowski clinched his argument by stating that this pottery did not come from the erosional layers on the east side of the tell, but rather from the rooms of the late bronze to middle building. Again, Wood says, Biankowski has not done his homework. Following the destruction of the Bronze Age city at Jericho, the site lay abandoned for a considerable period of time. During this period, material from the top of the tell washed down the slope, forming a thick layer of, er uh, of erosional debris. Toward the end of the late Bronze IIa period, a large palace or residency with its associated outbuildings was built into the, into the erosional layer on the east side. The middle building was occupied only for a generation or so and then abandoned. And after this uh, second abandonment, material again washed down from the higher elevations covering the ruined building. So um, when Garstein excavated the middle building, he found almost no pottery on the floors of the building, which was a fact that actually Binkowski noted. Garstang labeled his finds according to the areas defined by the rooms of the middle building with notations concerning the levels, that is whether from high in the debris, the upper level, on the floor, beneath the foundation, or in some cases, the ruins of the Bronze Age city below. 
Most of the potter, pottery excavated by Garstang in this area came from the erosional layers above or beneath the middle building, even though it was labeled with the room numbers of the middle building. So, um, he then, uh, after finishing a, a little bit more about the pottery, he talks about stratigraphy. So, he says that Biankowski said that he was off base in claiming the Middle Bronze Three period begins at phase 32 because it's not possible to identify pottery from the final phase of Middle Bronze period. He goes so far as to say there are no forms accepted as diagnostic of Middle Bronze Three. He actually, Biankowski, brushes aside 30 years of research by some of the finest scholars in the field of Palestinian archaeology. So there are several men, such as Joe Seeger, Dan Cole, Bill Deaver, and others have spent many years studying Middle, East, Middle Bronze pottery to isolate features that differentiate the final phase from the middle phase. So it's possible, he says, uh, to recognize the pottery of final phase of the Middle Bronze period. So one can argue whether this should be labeled as a separate period or a later phase of an earlier period. It's semantics, but the point is the chronological perspective, the stratigraphic layers belonging to the final phase of the Middle Bronze period can be identified. So again, this is in 1990, so we can only assume that the, the research has grown since then. So again, so that was uh, the, the stratigraphy evidence. He then moves on to scarab evidence, and our friend Hatshepsut shows up again. He says, Biankowski cautions against using royal name scarabs for dating purposes, since scarabs of well-known 18th Dynasty kings were very common and could remain in circulation. The scarabs in question are those of Hatshepsut, Tutmosis III, and Amenhotep III. So he says, I will agree with Biankowski with regard to scarabs of Tutmosis and Amenhotep. But the thing is, the scarabs of Hatshepsut. He says, um, Tutmosis and Amenhotep, Tutmosis III and Amenhotep III, were revered after the deaths, and their scarabs served amuletic purposes. The situation with Hatshepsut, as I have stated before, was not the same. She was actually reviled, maligned. Her name was actually systemically obliterated from monuments and inscriptions. Her tomb remained unknown for thousands of years. No one knew because they literally would go along any place that had her name where her cartouche was and they would scrape it out. So obviously she was not a, a revered person. She was reviled. And um, she did have some political machinations that made her not a quite nice person. But she had her high points, and she, she, the, the, the Egyptian empire actually entered into a pretty decent period while she reigned as pharaoh. Again, she was not queen, she was pharaoh, which is a male designation. So, um, scarabs of Hatshepsut are extremely rare and are excellent chronological indicators. In addition, Garstang found the seal of Thutmosis III. It's flat and inscribed on both sides with the cartouche of cartouches of this pharaoh. Again, it's a rare find and can be considered a contemporary artifact. So with these two things being contemporary, it lends credence to the to the uh, contemporaneity, current, 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 contemporaneity of the other scarabs. So the scarab of Hatshepsut and the seal of Thutmosis III then suggest the cemetery at Jericho was in active use throughout the 15th century BCE. And if it hadn't have been for the finding of Hatshepsut's 
uh, seals, then we, Bienkowski would probably have more of a leg to stand on. But right now he's got zero leg to stand on because he says, oh, well, these scarabs were often still made after people died. Uh, okay, Tutmosis and Amenhotep, that's, that's fine, but Hatshepsut was completely, you know, not even, people wanted to forget she existed. Finally, he turns to the radiocarbon dating. Uh, he says, Biankowski rightly points out that Garstang had previously made a sounding in Kenyon's Area H. He suggested that the radiocarbon sample Kenyon took from this area was Garstang's pit, which was contaminated with material from late bronze middle building above. So this is highly unlikely. Kenyon was digging a layer of severely burned debris from the destruction of the Bronze Age city as much as three feet thick. Including in this debris were collapsed roof beams, a hearth surrounded by a thick spread of charcoal, and a quantity of charred sticks. So Biankowski wants us to believe that Kenyon, the epitome of careful, accurate scientific excavator, turned her back on this material and instead took her sample from an intrusive pit she self-acknowledged was there. But despite all of, of Kenyon's issues and, and, and problems, uh, Wood wants to give her more credit. The issue could be resolved by simply checking Kenyon's field report, something Binkowski could have easily have done. So a review of evidence relevant to the date of the destruction of Jericho reveals that Binkowski's objections do not stand up to critical assessment. Kenyon's phase 32 is strongly linked to Sechem uh, 16b, which dates the beginning of the Middle Bronze III period. Phase 52, the destroyed Bronze Age city, on the other hand, is solidly correlated with the late Bronze 1b strata in Sechem 14. And he continues on. So unless Benkowski is prepared to rewrite the archaeological history of Palestine, he's going to have to accept the fact that Jericho was destroyed early in the late Bronze Age in about 14 BCE. So that concludes our academic nonsense portion of our study of Jericho. I really hope you enjoyed this. I enjoyed bringing this to you just because I like seeing a good argument play out. As I have said, I'm some, I, not like I don't sit in sometimes when I can't sleep and follow an argument on Facebook. But uh, I did hope you enjoyed that. Uh, join us Monday when we will be discussing, again, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus and the Law. And I encourage you to reach out to me via email. My email is kimg.pastandpresentpodcast at gmail.com. Also on Twitter at, at podcast underscore past. And on Facebook at Rebirth Network and Rebirth Encouraged, both with a purple heart between the words. Again, today's article was Dating Jericho's Destruction, Biankowski is Wrong on All Counts by Bryant G. Wood, and it appeared in the September-October 1990 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. You can find the article in its entirety at baslibrary.org, and I encourage you to look that up. And I encourage you to have a wonderful weekend, and I hope that you stay blessed and unstressed and unbothered by the rest. God bless.